Hello and welcome to Hugh's Joy of Food, a bite-sized podcast celebrating all that's amazing about everything edible, from the simplest snack to the fanciest feast. I'm Hugh Smithson-Wright, and this week on Hugh's Joy of Food, I'm celebrating St Patrick's Day with a review of Irish-owned Darby's in Vauxhall, helping a very special listener with some inspiration for cooking for one in Ask Hugel, and getting excited about the incredible range of speciality ingredients from Bellazoo in Treat of the Week. Each week on Hugh's Joy of Food, I review a restaurant in some way, whether it's one I've actually been to recently or a home delivery, be that a ready-to-eat takeaway or a make-at-home meal kit. First, a disclaimer. My job as a restaurant PR and consultant means that I'm paid to promote the interests of the handful of restaurants I represent. If I feature a client on this podcast, I'll make that clear, like I do on my social media channels, and in all cases, I'll make it clear if all or any part of a meal I review was complimentary. You can rest assured that everywhere I review, I recommend. This show is about the joy of food, so if you're looking for vicious eviscerations, this probably isn't the podcast for you. With that out of the way, it's time for this week's review. The week around St Patrick's Day on 17th of March is always one of the most fun for those of us lucky enough to work in and adjacent to the London restaurant world. The indispensable restaurant guide Hot Dinners, founded and run by Irish siblings Catherine and Gavin Hanley, publishes its Murphyer list, recognising Irish people making notable contributions to hospitality, and for the past few years there's been a lively party to announce and celebrate who's made the list. Then, on the Friday nearest Paddy's Day, the much-loved, larger-than-life chef and restaurateur Richard Corrigan hosts a legendary boozy breakfast, which usually goes on at least until lunchtime, at his eponymous Mayfair restaurant, with gallons of Guinness, mountains of oysters and a lot of singing. At last year's, there was uncertainty, even tension in the air, because of the pandemic that had just been declared. None of us there could have known that it would be the last party any of us would go to for a long time to come. A fixture of all of these occasions is Robin Gill, who with his wife Sarah is behind a handful of South London's most popular restaurants, including Bermondsey Larder, the reincarnation of his groundbreaking Clapham restaurant The Dairy, and chic Italian Sorella. But it's his restaurant right on my doorstep, the brilliant Darby's in Vauxhall that I'm reviewing this week, and which I'd encourage you to make a mental note of for April the 12th, when restaurants with outdoor space, which Darby's has, are allowed to reopen. Describing itself as an oyster bar, bakery and grill, Darby's is named after Robin's jazz trumpeter dad, Darby, and there are subtle tributes to him everywhere, not just in the name, but also in a trumpet emblem printed on the menu. But this isn't a theme restaurant, it's a really chic, airy space in the Embassy Gardens development that's shot up around the new US Embassy. The area polarises some people. The swimming pool bridge high above Darby's is either a feat of architectural wizardry or a reason to eat the rich, depending on who you listen to, and there's been justified controversy of late surrounding the provision, or lack thereof, of affordable housing. Personally, I'm a fan. The landscape meadow surrounding the embassy itself is a lovely place to sit and enjoy a moment's meditation, and the various ponds, gardens and water features tucked between the apartment blocks and accessible to all are a very welcome addition to the wider neighbourhood. Whatever you think of the area, it's impossible not to love Derby's. 
From the moment you walk in, via the bakery counter where Chef Dean Parker bakes brilliant sourdough and sinfully delicious pastries, you're made to feel super welcome. The team, led by General Manager Emma Underwood, treats you like family whether it's your first visit or you're one of their many regulars. There's a big central bar where I sometimes enjoy a solo lunch of oysters, arancini and piquant pickles made in-house from the dedicated bar menu, or comfy booths and bonquettes spread out around the dining room. The menu is simply laid out as first, or starters, and from the grill, main courses which, while majoring on meat, also include plenty of choice for vegetarians. Of the starters, I'm usually hard-pressed to choose between truffled Baron Bigod, a divine English brie-type cheese served with fig and walnut toast, a walnut-whip-style swirl of chicken liver pate with shavings of black truffle, apricot jam, and some of that sourdough from the bakery toasted, or artistically plated smoked Cornish mussels with new potatoes and sorrel. Or if your appetite allows, you might want to go for papadelle with a wonderful Dexter beef ragout, about which my only complaint is that the portion is, if anything, a little too generous, which is a nice problem to have. If you eat meat, I think you really do have to have some for your main course. Robin and Dean treat meat with great respect here, sourcing ethically reared breeds from trusted farmers and ageing whole carcasses on site in cabinets which you can see upstairs. So you might choose sirloin on the bone with beetroot and horseradish, glazed beef short rib with pickle and mustard, or perhaps a Hereford beef and bone marrow pie. You're not tied to meat though. I've tried fantastic fish dishes here too, like Lady Hamilton cod fillet with crispy beef fat potatoes on the side. Desserts tend to focus on dairy and fruit, something like panna cotta with strawberries, homemade milk ice cream with figs, or a rich chocolate mousse. Or you could order some of that wonderful truffle Baron Bigod from the starters for afters instead. In terms of the bill, for a three-course dinner, you're probably looking at about £55 per head for food. How much more than that you spend will depend very much on how big a dent you decide to make in the interesting and excellent wine list. But if that's beyond your budget, don't rule Derby's out. Sit at the bar and order a delicious messy crab brioche roll and a pint of Guinness and you'll get change from 20 quid. And also don't rule Derby's out just because the restaurant itself is currently closed. Their wonderful bakery cum deli, The Hatch, is very much open, selling bread and baked goods, fresh pasta and sauces, charcuterie, and even that spectacular truffled Baron Bigod. Like many restaurants, Derby's also delivers meal kits to make at home. I tried their Thanksgiving menu, which I should say was a gift last year, and it was great, so I've high hopes for the St. Patrick's Day meal they're currently offering on the website. And if you happen to be anywhere in the vicinity between St. Patrick's Day itself and next Sunday 21st of March, I hear they'll be serving Carlingford oysters from the hatch to enjoy while wandering around Embassy Gardens, perhaps marvelling at that sky pool suspended ten stories above your head. For all information, visit Darby's, that's D-A-R-B-Y-S, dash London, dot com. Each week... I answer a listener's burning culinary question in Ask Hugel. This week's question comes from a very special listener, Helena in Norfolk, who happens to be my big sister, and who says, Hey Hugel, a few episodes back, you shared some tips on how to get the best tables for one when eating in restaurants, but what about eating for one at home? I've noticed how good you always seem to be about cooking for yourself, thanks sis, whereas I am properly terrible at it. 
I'm often stumped and incredibly unimaginative when it comes to a quick lunch, say, or a nice tea for me when the family are otherwise catered for. In all honesty, I could easily rustle myself up something delicious, but instead I always end up reaching for the mundane basics. I have or could easily get all the ingredients I could ever need, and it's not like I'm not a competent enough cook and well aware that amazing things can be made very quickly. So how do you find the inspiration and motivation to make interesting meals for one? Hi Helena and thank you. This is a really great question. I'm glad you've asked it. First and foremost because it highlights something which I think is really important. Namely that cooking for one isn't the sole preserve of people who live alone. You're a busy working mum of two beautiful boys. And while you eat as a family most of the time, there'll always be occasions when, for whatever reason, you find yourself eating by yourself. Likewise, in my household, my husband and I usually eat at around the same time, but don't always want to have the same meal, which is when cooking for one comes in. To start with the inspiration, there are a few ways to come up with ideas that are a little more exciting than beans on toast, say, or a jacket potato. Not that there's anything wrong with either of those, if that's genuinely what you fancy. One is to treat yourself to a book dedicated to the subject, like Signa Johansson's Solo, The Joy of Cooking for One, which is full of fabulous recipes. The Guardian's Feast Supplement, which comes free with the paper on Saturdays, is likewise a goldmine, as is BBC Good Food magazine. The best inspiration, though, is yourself. When you can, set aside some time just to sit and think for a while about what you really love to eat, however luxurious or complicated it might be. Then, think about which of those dishes could be made for one. You might not want to make a Sunday roast for one, for example, but if you love roast chicken and veggies, you could adapt that into, say, a poussin with boiled potatoes or a mini roasting joint with a one-person pan of roasted root veg. I think understanding what you really enjoy eating rather than what your family enjoys is key to making sure that you eat well for one. As for the motivation, that I think comes from making it as easy as possible to make meals for one without effort or waste. It's easy to say, make big batches of food you like and freeze it, but that then means you then have to go to the effort of defrosting things. And shopping for one can mean food going to waste if you don't find an opportunity to eat it. The middle ground is to think about what dried or long-lasting ingredients you can buy which with a little preparation can be made into fun meals for one. I talked a few weeks ago about the great meals you can make from pimping packet noodles and for that reason I always have at least half a dozen packets of different flavours in the pantry. Ditto pasta. Keep a few different varieties in stock and reach for them when you're making a meal for yourself. One thing I love making for myself is fresh pasta sauces. While making bolognese for one might be a faff, simmering a tin of tomatoes with a good glug of Worcester sauce, some onion and garlic, and a whole load of black pepper until it's reduced to a sticky sort of ragu isn't. Another godsend ingredient, and one which enhances anything you care to add it to, is those little cubes of pancetta you can buy in pods of two portions. Boil some pasta, fry off some pancetta, stir it all together with an egg yolk and some grated parmesan and cracked black pepper, and ecco carbonara. Soup's a super solo supper too. Simmer whatever veg you might have lying around in stock. Instant is fine, with salt and pepper, herbs, maybe a little cream until it's soft. Whiz it in the blender or with a stick blender and serve with a chunk of crusty bread thick with tooth butter and you're sorted. I'm a massive fan of frozen dumplings like the ones from Japanese restaurant chain Itsu, which are on sale in most big supermarkets. You just boil them for about three and a half or four minutes and they're great just by themselves. 
but with minimal effort you can make them into something a bit more substantial by adding them to some instant miso soup or drizzling them with maybe hoisin sauce or sriracha, then slicing some spring onions on top and scattering them with sesame seeds. Eggs are the ultimate convenience food, individually packaged and portioned by Mother Nature herself. I always have dozens of eggs to hand and find endless joy in making them into omelettes and frittatas or just boiled with soldiers or poached on toast with a slice or six of ham. When in season, I love to briefly poach a bunch of asparagus, then sizzle it on the griddle pan and top it with a poached egg. It takes 10 minutes max from start to finish, but feels like a restaurant meal. And actually, speaking of convenience food, can I just say, ready meals are not a dirty word? It's true that many are high in fat and salt, but as an occasional meal, there really isn't any harm in buying and enjoying something that's designed to be a decent meal for one. I had some salt and chilli chicken wings from Tesco the other night. They took 25 minutes in the oven. I ate them straight from the enamel dish I'd cooked them in, so there wasn't any additional washing up, and they were bloody delicious. Never feel guilty about letting Mr Sainsbury or Dr Ertke do the cooking for you every so often. You're worth it. So in summary, Helena, get inspiration from books, magazines and what you know you like. Be sure to lay in some long-lasting ingredients to always have to hand as a base to build your meals for one from. And don't beat yourself up if sometimes you turn to something ready-made that's going to make you happy. And if you happen to come up with any dishes that you think other solo diners might enjoy, do please share them with me, as I'm sure there are plenty of people in a similar situation who'd love to be inspired by you. If you'd like me to have a go at answering your food-related question, you can tweet me at hrwrite or send me an email to hrw at hughrichardwright.com. For my final segment, Treat of the Week, each week I share something food or drink related that's been putting a smile on my face. This week, it's a brilliant brand called Bellazoo, whose Mediterranean and Middle Eastern ingredients I've come to find absolutely indispensable. Founded 30 years ago this year as the Fresh Olive Company, a name which did exactly what it said on the tin, Bellazoo started off as an importer of olives from France, supplying restaurants as well as selling to the public from a stall at Borough Market, which is where I first remember encountering them. Hard as it might be to believe now, when even the least well-stocked corner shop will sell the likes of olives, pesto and parmesan cheese, these weren't always as easy to find as they are now, so Bellazoo as it subsequently became were real trailblazers in that respect. Over the course of those 30 years, the product range has grown enormously, and Bellazoo has gone from being an importer to a manufacturer and brand in its own right, sold in the likes of Waitrose and on Sous Chef, which I featured as my treat of the week in episode 5, as well as via their own website. Some of the products, of which I've tried a great many but far from all, will be instantly familiar, like pesto, tapenade, excellent olive oils and indulgent aged balsamic vinegar. Some of you might have heard of, but not have been aware, came in quite so many variants. Harissa, for example, the North African chilli and spice paste, which Bellazoo offers rose, smoked chilli and my new favourite, apricot flavours. A tablespoon of rose or apricot harissa rubbed over a roast chicken or pork joint or for vegetarians halloumi or butternut squash, instantly elevates the dish to something dinner party worthy. For something milder to enliven roasted veg, say, or white fish, there are herb pates like jug and chamula. 
My most recent discovery is the fiercely fiery but moorishly smoky Urfa chilli paste. I'm still getting the quantities right, but about half a teaspoon added to chopped chicken or pork and stir-fried makes a wonderfully tasty topping for rice. As well as the rose and apricot harissas, there are two Bellazoo ingredients I'm never without. The first is their tahini, the immensely versatile sesame paste which is the base for hummus, but which I use to pour over tofu and salads as an instant dressing. It can also be used in cakes and pastries to give an instant depth of flavour and moistness thanks to its oil content. The other is their Verdimanda Extra Virgin Olive Oil from Spain. It's a vivid green with a complex grassy flavour that's too pronounced, not to mention too expensive for cooking with, but which is exquisite when used for dressing salads and pouring just a little of over fish, or a Spanish favourite this, chocolate ice cream with a sprinkle of sea salt. Trust me. For last-minute guests, when we're allowed to have any, of course, I like to keep a jar each of the artichoke meze and green olive tapenade in the cupboard. Simply spooning them onto whatever crackers or bread you might have to hand makes instant canapes so good anyone would think you'd had caterers in. And if you happen to have a jar of their caviar lookalike balsamic pearls handy too, you could make the humblest ball of mozzarella look like a Michelin-starred starter. The beauty of Bellazzi's products is the prices. For sure, there are some that are expensive. That Verdamander olive oil and their best balsamic vinegar are both £14 a bottle. But for the most part, everything's only about £3 or £4, and in many cases less, so you can experiment with new flavours without breaking the bank. Unlike Fortnum and Mason and Sous Chef, which I've recommended on here before, Bellazoo as a brand is a hallmark of quality. Even if you've never heard of an ingredient they sell, you can be absolutely certain that it's the best of its kind. Having anything of theirs in your cupboard or fridge guarantees that you'll always have something with which you can tart up the plainest of meals and add a little pizzazz to your food with minimal effort. And if you do that with your back turned, nobody needs ever know that you didn't rustle up that magic all by yourself. There just isn't time to recommend everything I love from Bellazoo, so get yourself online and see what grabs your eye at Bellazoo, that's B-E-L-A-Z-U dot com. Just before I go, I'd like to ask that if you're in a position to, you'll consider supporting one of the many brilliant charities working tirelessly to ensure that children, disadvantaged families and the homeless don't go hungry during the pandemic, such as Magic Breakfast, Fair Share, Street Smart and the Trussell Trust. That's it for this week. If you'd like to get in touch, you can tweet me at HRWright or drop me a line at hrw at hughrichardwright.com. And I hope you'll join me next time for more of Hugh's Joy of Food. <laughs>